Welcome everyone to the seventh episode of the Melbourne AWS User Group podcast, where today we'll be talking about the news from September 2020. My name is Arjen Swartz, and I'm joined for this by my friends Jean-Manuel Becker and Guy Morton. Hello everyone, uh, very happy to be here again. Um, always uh, fun to uh, do the news with you. Yep, hi Arjen. It's all uh, like uh, um, James says. It's always uh, always a good good thing to get together and and uh, go over what's going on in the wonderful world of AWS. Yep, and again we've had a lot going on. We're recording a little bit later this month, so if we happen to make some references to news that is not from September, you'll know why. But we'll do our best to limit it to September. And with that, I say let's. Yeah, let's say g'day to the first announcement that was on our list. G'day, mate. So it's about <laughs> to recognize, uh, yeah, recognize with Amazon Lex uh, supporting Australian English um, to recognize uh, our dialect and with automatic speech recognition and uh, natural language understanding. What 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 I'd really like to know is like how how well it's going to do with you know fair shake of the source bottle, mate. Like, I mean, I I wonder if they put Kevin Rudd through it, you know, just you know obscure Australian phraseology and uh, you know because the the AI would be sitting in the background going fair shake of the source bottle. He can't; those words don't go together. Um, he must have meant something else. Um, yeah, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we had Amazon Polly already in Australian Voices to speak to us uh, with Russell and Nicole. If you remember these voices, it's quite yeah. good. Uh, but now we can have the other way uh, with with Lex and, and understanding our language, and that can interact with uh, AWS Connect and uh, all sort of bots you can organize with uh, languages. So hopefully, we have end to end now Australian language in uh, AWS. It's good stuff. Yeah. It probably understands it better than I do. <laughs> well, it, me, me too, probably. And the French guy talking, yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and the other new thing in Sydney is something that you will be happy with, Guy, because we spoke about, spoke about it last month. Um, the RDS M6G and R6G preview. Yep, so this is the new Graviton 2 processors, so they're now available in um, for, for RDS workloads in, in Sydney, in preview, of course. So you can't get too excited, but, um, oh, you can. You can get excited, but don't get too excited, if you know what I mean. They're, they're pretty good. So you have support for MySQL 8 um, and RDS PostgreSQL 12 at the moment, and Aurora and MariaDB will come a bit later. Um, there's, they just appear in your list in Sydney. If you go to the console, you can see them. They're there. And I did some price comparison with, between a DB M6G X large and a DB M5 X large, which is supposed to be the equivalent. It's around 11% cheaper. So out of the box, you have 11% cheaper. And AWS claimed that you can have a better uh, performance as well at the CPU level and memory level because they use encryption and that sort of thing. So. Um, really worth to uh, to uh, experiment and do some load testing to understand if you can get some uh, you know eleven point one percent cheaper is is non negligible. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and as we discussed last month already, considering this is a managed service and you don't run anything on it, there's literally no impact on your workload. Yeah, 
Um, and you mentioned, JM, that was only a couple of versions, but the other announcement, which I think was only just today or in the recent couple of days anyway, was that they've supported, they're now supporting more database versions. So again, it's, it's not Aurora yet, but it's more versions of MySQL and more versions of Postgres. Oh, very cool. So very good news for our Kiwi friends, uh, CloudFront in New Zealand, uh, two new edge locations in Auckland. And AWS claimed that uh, it will provide probably viewers or certain images or video uh, up to 50% improvement in latency. So that's pretty good news for them. You know, New Zealand is still a bit far away from, from Sydney. So um, very interesting for to have CloudFront in uh, New Zealand. Uh, however, it's still the same problem as in Australia. You need to e- enable the all CloudFront worldwide to be able to benefit from that zone. You don't have an Asia Pacific region. Um, and on that, some of my friends in AC3, who of course have a, we have an office in in New Zealand, they they ran some tests on this uh, as soon as it was announced, and they saw um, latencies for objects on a web distribution drop from about thirty milliseconds for Sydney CloudFront to about uh, well, I think it was two or three milliseconds uh, once they switched over. It was a it was a single digit number anyway. Yeah, so it was a it was a very significant difference. Fantastic. That's really good news, yeah. That's great. Well then shall we move on to the serverless section? Yep. Yep. So Step Function's got a few announcements this this month. Payload size for messages passing through Step Functions now two hundred and fifty six kilobytes as opposed to thirty two, which is what it was before, so eight times bigger. Um and I think that brings it into line with with uh, payload in size increases in some other services. So that's a good thing. Support for X ray. So you can now visualize and, and tra- trace um, the, the sort of entire flow. And I think that applies to both Express and um, what's the other one? Just non-Express um, workflows. <laughs> so that's, that's nice as well. I haven't actually seen, seen that in action. I don't know if you guys have. I haven't had a chance to use it yet, but it's definitely something that um, was sorely missing considering how much that functions can be used to orchestrate your whole Thing. Yeah, so I think that that'll be a very nice, a nice addition to the to just the uh, usability, I guess, of that as a, a as a product. Um, and there was was there one other thing to do with their functions? That, yeah, yeah, you can visualize it in into the Lambda console. So if you look at Lambda itself, you have a, a side uh, to be able to visualize your step function to know where you are. So that's quite nice as well, and more for the console users. Uh, but yeah, step function really uh, getting up to. Uh, be the full integration tool now across all this product and having X-Ray included that, that give you the full view for your process and serverless functions. That's really nice. Yeah. API Gateway, got a couple of, a couple of announcements too. The, the mutual TLS authentication would be not small if you care about it. Yeah. This, this one is, is really awesome. Actually, AWS is the only cloud to offer MTLS on the API Gateway, by the way. Uh, and a lot of. People in the open banking space, in, in the banking sector, in the consumer data rights uh, for open energy, open telco, all of that, all of that is coming. And they all will need to have an API and they all need MTLS. So, um, AWS being the first one to provide that, that uh, option on the native uh, API is, is really good. Uh, a lot of my customer had to use um, all the product to be able to do MTLS and then send the, the TLS traffic back to the cloud. Now they can do end-to-end. So very easy to use, uh, 
There's a couple of blogs uh, that have been done by a colleague as well uh, who is um, who are helping people to understand that. So really good product and can integrate with ACM as well for your private CA and, and public CA. So very nice. Cool. And the last one was the, in the serverless space, was the EventBridge schema registry supporting JSON schema. Have you guys used EventBridge a lot? Not a lot. No, but it seems to be a product really pushed by AWS. Uh, we used to have CloudWatch events, right? Uh, but now EventBridge seems to be more and more integrated, integrated with uh, SaaS providers, I think up to 75 SaaS providers, and now converting OpenAPI 3 to JSON format. Uh, that's more readable for everyone. I think this is pretty good. Um, you still need to do a KB chunks or to be able to ingest them. But um, no, EventBridge seems to be a, a, a product uh, we're going to be pushed by AWS in the future to, to do your full integration end-to-end with even with serverless and, and all sorts of uh, different uh, uh, integration and, and tools. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, this is this seems to me is one of those sort of maturity sort of enhancements um, as people use these sorts of things. That One of the things that they fall down on is malformed JSON um, messages. Um, you know, go, going through the system. And, and I think this is just one of those things that kind of puts some rigor around, I guess, how it works and, um, and gives you a bit more tooling around, you know, not, not making mistakes that, that kind of screw things up. So I'm sure there's other, other elements to it, but I, I'm just always reminded of, of, um, uh, projects in the past working with developers who will insist on, you know, building their own JSON objects. And, you know, of course they don't actually know how to build a, <laughs> build a JSON object because they'll, they'll just go, you know, they'll just write it by hand. And it's like, no, don't do that. <laughs> um, so this sort of rigor uh, is kind of necessary because people do that sort of stuff, um, build, build their own um, JSON formatters and, and such. But uh, yeah. Okay, we can pass to uh, containers today. Some good announcements this month as well. Yeah, definitely. I think the one that most people might be interested in, at least on the EKS side, is the support for security groups, um, or rather um, supporting assigning security groups to pods. So you are no longer required to have the same security group in your entire cluster, but you can have different security groups for your different environments or your different microservices. Yeah. Um, so you could do that before through the Kubernetes network policies, but obviously that makes the life much easier to have that into a security group. So a couple of limitations, though. Um, you cannot use that for Fargate, obviously. You cannot use that for Windows Node yet. Uh, it's only for uh, Nitro-based EC2 instances, so uh, M5, C5, R5, or all that family. You cannot use that on T3 yet as well. That's not supported, and you need the CNR plugin. Uh, 1.7 and uh, Kubernetes 1.17. And the security group needs to exist before the pod gets launched, otherwise your pod launch will fail. So, and you still need to have uh, communication with your cluster master and uh, DNS uh, port 53 open on your security group. So a couple of things to plan, but really a very nice addition uh, for EKS to come almost at the feature level of ECS now uh, with the security group on, on, on task. Yep, it's almost as good as ECS now. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we've angered all of the Kubernetes fans. Uh, 
There is an announcement as well about EKS, uh, uh, Cloud Formation support for Fargate profiles on EKS, really small announcement. Um, and uh, yeah, talking about containers, uh, Bottle Rocket is GA now. Um, do you know Bottle Rocket? Yep. Well, have have read it and and followed it with some interest, but um, uh, do you do you have a, a predefined um, um, a spiel about it, Jam, that you'd like to launch into? Because I'm I'm always interested to hear more about Bottle Rocket. Yeah, I've got I did some research as well. I never use it uh, myself directly, um, but I'm looking at it. Uh, so first, is open source. Um, it's ARM and x86, so that's pretty nice. That out of the box, you have the two type of CPU support. Uh, it comes with uh, SC Linux Enforce mode by default, and then uh, device mapper Verity target as well enforced, and you know to to block against root root kit uh, bars attacks and stuff like that. Uh, you can use Bottle Rocket with EKS, and soon I think with ECS. And there is no shell on the operating system, so it's not like a, any Amazon Linux box you can log into it. So you have a controller container where uh, with System Manager, you can configure your, your operating system to launch. That's what you need to connect to. And then you have an admin container as well, which is disabled by default. Uh, but if you enable it, you can do SSH to it and then use that to do RPMs and uh, upgrade of the image and all sort of uh, process. So it's, it's uh, you know, a very cut down version of operating system, really focused on running containers uh, workload and uh, very with hand security and a couple of process to be able to use it. But um, very interesting. Yeah, for those familiar with things like CoreOS, it's very similar to that. And yeah, well, you can use a management container. The idea is obviously that you never actually log into it, uh, that the management container isn't running, or at least not accessible, and that you just replace the instance when you need to upgrade it. But yeah, it's a great release, and I'm really looking forward to it. And especially once the ECS version comes out of preview, uh, so that you can use that more easily. I'm not quite sure what the difference will be between the two. I would assume it's only that it runs the ECS agent somehow, which is presumably used to running on the underlying system instead of in some management container, so that's probably why. Yeah, you might need the sidecar to run the CS agent or something, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, other things. Um, speaking of ECS, there's been some small updates as well to the collaboration between AWS and Docker, as they like to call it, uh, which basically means that that has also gone GA, I believe. Where if you if you're running Docker Desktop, so on Mac or Windows, you can use Docker Compose to launch instances directly into Fargate. Possibly other serverless cloud solutions as well, but we don't mention those on here. <laughs> <laughs> so it creates a cloud formation template uh, automatically for you, and then it push it for you and deploy it for you, and that 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 what create the fully CS task, right? I, yeah, I haven't tested it myself because I haven't had time to play around with it. But it is definitely a really nice way for people to just get up and get stuff up and running without having to bother learning how AWS works. It all gets done for them out of the box, which I believe is the argument we made last time we discussed it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think you did take it with Secret Manager, ECR, or Docker Hub, and then uh, CloudWatch logs as well. So 
you know, out of the box, you can, from your laptop, start deploying on ECS and having your container orchestration done by AWS for you. That's awesome. Let's have a look at EC2 and VPC then. Well, there's a pretty big announcement here. The T4. Yes, T4 instances. Again, these are called T4G, which we now know means Graviton. And these are ARM instances. And funnily enough, they start out with, at least temporarily, something that the T3 instances never had, and that is a free tier. Well, it's a limited free tier uh, up to the end of December uh, this year. And is for T4G micro. So it's a, it's a two CPU, one gig memory machine. And yes, you can test it. You can play with it. Um, it's only in, uh, Virginia, Ohio, Oregon, Mumbai, Tokyo, Frankfurt, and Ireland, but you can play with it for free. Um, like, a, like another free tier. And, uh, but if you had to pay for it, uh, it's still 19% cheaper than a T3 of the same size. So really a difference there. And in theory, a better machine as well with, you know, faster processor, but you need to be on ARM. So you have several sizes. Um, uh, you have EBS optimized by default and then up to five gig of bandwidth. And, uh, you go from the macro. I think there's a micro as well, but, um, the macro is two, two CPU, one gig to eight CPU, 32 gig memory. There's actually a nano. Oh, there's a nano as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. just two CPUs and half a gig of memory. So, so in theory, you could you could run you could run two nano for free for until the end of the year. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did the test. I mean, they they launch the same. They are in your console. Um, they you can SSH to it. Same keys, same everything. No dramas. Just a different operating system. Oh, CPU. And we're already familiar with most of that from the MC, from the six series. It's just a shame that it's not available around here yet. Oh, well, something to look forward to. Maybe next month we'll have a finally in Sydney with Graviton two, um, four T four Gs for free. Yes. <laughs> there won't be. There won't be. That won't happen. But anyway, it doesn't matter. They're cheap. Enjoy them anyway. For us to play while we are in lockdown, that will be cool, is it? <laughs> yeah. And the 6G uh, instance types, they came pretty quickly here. Yeah. So, yeah, looking forward to that. A couple of announcements with Private Link. Uh, just another product again uh, for TextTrack, uh, Private Link, and... Um, the CodeGuru Profiler? Yes. So just a reminder, Private Link helps you to connect to the AWS services without going out on the internet and uh, has a cost per month per network interface per VPC, and you can centralize them in shared VPC. But, um, yeah. Just another one. Uh, a couple, it's a bit of news with load balancers as well. Um, first, application load balancers uh, now support outposts, which is actually an interesting way to phrase it. But basically, yes, it is. Where I said well, outposts support ILB now, that would be more appropriate, you think? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so with the ILB, obviously, outpost is one single subnet, right? So um, the ILB maybe don't have a purpose, but when you start using ECS or EKS inside your, your outpost, then it makes sense to be able to distribute workload into the same single subnet and scale automatically up and down the, the traffic. And uh, uh, you can do TLS offload as well. So um, that makes sense when you look at other announcements where uh, outposts now support uh, ECS and EKS as well. Hmm. So maybe that makes sense of the, their phrasing. So ALBs can now, um, can now, um, be used with, it, with instances in outposts as if they, because they, they, they appear in a region as a, as an AZ, right? Yes. 
So, so I guess if you're, if your ALB is in your, you know, normal uh, AZs floating around in your normal region, it can now see those, any instances that are currently in your outposts as well. Presumably that's how, that's what it means. Or am I wrong? <laughs> I, I don't know, to be honest, I don't have a 400k outpost in my garage, so I, I didn't test it. Sure, no. None of us, none of us does, I don't think, sadly. But the, the announcement says ILB will operate in a single subnet and will scale automatically up the capacity available on the rack to meet variable. So I'm not sure if you can have an ILB across uh, three AZs plus your outpost. Yeah, I don't think you can. Not based on what I've read. Yeah. You probably need to have an ILB inside your AZ forwarding to another ILB inside your outpost, I would say. And that will run on your local kit. Yeah, you're right. So, uh, you know, just trying to make, make sense of their, their use of language here. But yes, the within outposts, ALB will, will operate in a single subnet and will scale automatically up to the capacity available on the rack to meet varying levels of application load without manual intervention. Yep. So, yeah, whilst it would have been far more interesting in my world um, of how it would work, um, that's actually not. And despite the way that they've phrased it, yeah, it, it works as you said. It's a single, it's a, yeah, it's working in a single subnet. Yeah. That said, if anybody listening happens to have an outpost in the garage and would like us to play with it, <laughs> please reach yeah, out. Yeah. We are happy to do so. <laughs> yes. Um, the other ALB news is an interesting one. It is tied to another service that I don't think three of us use much, Elastic Beanstalk. But you can now use the same load balancer for multiple uh, Beanstalk environments. Yeah, I've actually used DB quite a bit. And this is this is a nice thing because, yeah, you, you being be able to sort of share a load balancer between multiple environments is just going to save you some money, basically, um, especially if you've got you know, dev test workloads or things that, you know, you don't need a lot of, you know, they're not kind of, you know, you want to basically have them as cheap as possible. Um, it, it makes sense to be able to do this. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a neat feature. The other announcement about LightSail, uh, they offer a new operating system blueprint now. So you can have Amazon Linux 2, Windows 220, Windows Server 19, and Debian 10. Yeah. Just just a new way of using LightSail. Yeah. Now I don't know anyone who uses a light sale. That's probably more more the case than EB. Yeah, I can say that the user group used to run our websites on light sale until we went for uh, for just a static website. Yeah, I mean, I I back. Oh, was this probably? I'm going to say 2015 or something like that. I reckon um, when I was working at a place that they, you know, I needed to sort of whip up a a, a hosting environment for a marketing site. And I, I'm, in my mind, made the mistake of choosing LightSail. And it wasn't really that it didn't work, but it was just kind of frustrating to work with because it kind of was a bit like having an EC2 instance, but kind of frustratingly not like having an EC2 instance. So there was a lot of things you kind of couldn't really do or, yeah, yeah it was, it was a, it's kind of, it's a funny product. I, I'd really like to know how popular it is um, or whether it's a bit like WorkDocs, I mean, <laughs> And, you know, <laughs> this is one of those things that they've kind of got it there, but, you know, it's probably not super, super well, well utilized, um, but it's kind of there to tick a box to say, hey, we've got a, you know, easy point and click wizard style hosting tool that you can just go click, click, and here's a, you know, instance running WordPress. Yeah. 
Well, it includes, I think, bandwidth as well and a couple of services. You can have a WAF now in front. I mean, there's, there's, there have been some new features uh, for Lightsail. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just one of those funny sort of products that sort of sits in the middle. Hey, speaking of that, Honeycode. Has anyone heard of Honeycode since it, since it was announced? No. Has anyone done anything with it or heard anyone doing anything with it? To see, for me, it's just kind of one of those kind of funny products that they've they kind of got, but yeah, I don't know. They just don't seem they don't seem fully fully realised somehow. But I don't know. Maybe we'll be wowed by what it can actually do once reinvent comes along. That could be, yeah, or it could just sink without trace and no one ever speaks of it again. We shall not speak of this. <laughs> well, we know that AWS never retire your product, so now they announce it, they need to go along with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Maybe they'll regret not launching it under a beta flag like SimpleDB. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The last announcement, I think, for uh, EC2 was the CloudWatch agent is now open source and installed by default on Amazon, Amazon Linux 2. So that's a bit less stuff to install when you uh, run that, and you can use the Yum package manager to be able to update it as well. If you want to contribute to it, it's on GitHub. DevOps is next with always some fun things around. Yeah, a lot of X-Ray again. Some good announcement there for Java pe- people. <laughs> I'm sure you're happy with that. Always happy about Java, uh, new Java things. Um, the, the other thing is the anomaly detection based actionable insights. That's that's. Uh, it's always nice to see how AWS is kind of looking for ways of, I guess, rolling machine learning type stuff into into products that exist. Um, and looking for ways of, I guess, making life easy, f- easier f- for us by finding the, finding the wrong stuff, um, and, and surfacing that without us having to actually trawl through all the data ourselves. So, um, I, d- I haven't really actually read anything about this, but that's what it kind of sounds like to me. Does it have either of you yeah, guys looked at yeah, it? It is, it is in preview at the moment. Um, and it really helps you to find the, the root cause uh, of the, the impacted services and, uh, follow the all X-ray group, um, that is affected. So X-ray inside add another dollar per million trace recorded. So X-ray tracing, it's around five dollars per million trace recorded. And to be able to use X-ray Insight, you need to add another dollar for that per million traces recorded. Uh, so I think it's pretty cheap uh, when you look at the, the size of um, uh, and the impact it can have uh, for you to find the root, root cause analysis and use ML, obviously, too. Yeah. And inside the fault rate and uh, the anomaly detection um, on the on your microservices with X-ray. So it's pretty good. And you can specify like a sampling rate here, too. So you can, you can um, presumably... So you can, you know, you can specify how, what percentage of your traffic you actually want to actually want to push through that. Yes, and you don't have to have all your end-to-end serverless uh, with X-ray, but obviously it gives you that better view uh, with the map to be able to understand what could be the problem in your in your application. Yeah, neat. And of course, in that same vein, then is the other X-ray announcement is that CloudWatch Synthetics now supports X-ray as well, mm-hmm. or rather, so it will send. X-ray traces, so it's integrated. So you can, with your generic tests, you can um, specifically focus on those if everything is going okay, which is good. 
So yeah, you have a set of scripts to go into run on the schedule and monitor your end-to-end endpoint um, with all the process. So you will be able to detect very quickly if there is an impact or not on what is normal and what is not normal. So that's uh, that's the idea. Yeah. And especially when, if you don't have customer uh, traffic in, into your environment uh, at night or something, you might not know that your system is down. So because you don't have customer complaint, but uh, with this system, you will be able to simulate a customer uh, behavior as well. And speaking of synthetics, pretty nice as well there is the improvement that you can now monitor for broken links or um, graphical interface issues. It's basically um, a similar idea. Uh, it runs its tests, and when it detects that this, for example, a broken link, it will alert you, and you can quickly find out what's going on. It's interesting, the um, GUI workflow blueprint. So I've just had a quick look at the um, the doco here, and the GUI workflow builder is basically a... Um, so you can sort of tell it that you want to click a particular... So you can identify an element, like so for your, your button is, you know, register button. It's got the ID register button, let's say. You can you can select that element and, and emulate clicking it. Um, so you could then sort of see, I guess, what's what what happens next, and whether that's the, you know, that's the expected behaviour. Um, you can do verif- verification of text inside a div. Let's say um, you can write text into an element. You can do a navigational click. Um, yeah, so it looks like it's sort of a it's sort of like a um, you know web web automation a blueprint that you can you can run. And I guess, therefore, def- define whether what success would, would be like for each of those each of those automations. So that's neat. Yeah. So it's a bit like some testing frameworks that already existed, but then built into here. Yeah, and sort of just a minimal a minimal one. It's obviously not as exhaustive as a testing full testing framework might be. It's 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 um yeah, it's got a subs a, a subset of the sorts of things you might you might want to look for. Yeah, but but very, definitely very neat. Yeah, couple of great from System Manager. Um, you can support now new Ubuntu version, uh, the version twenty, um, and then the SSM agent as well has been upgraded from version two to version three. So now it's got a self upgrade feature. We can uh, basically update the agent automatically for you and uh, integrate with CloudWatch and then. So you can follow your logs as well uh, without the same agent. Um, and then the other announcement for System Manager was... Um, System Manager Explorer. The Manager Explorer, yes, correct. Um, you can uh, group operation data sources so into one dashboard to provide you an operation data across AWS account and region. That's uh, help you to investigate quicker uh, operational issues um, so you can group the data source together. Yeah, it's interesting to see how quickly they are expanding the capabilities of the Explorer. Because it was only released earlier this year, and I feel like we're talking about it every month now. Mm. Well, it started with the Trusted Advisor, then the added support ticket. And a course account as well. So that always give you that course account view, so really help the enterprise if they want to use that, that system, yeah. Exactly. And the other thing that I don't think you mentioned was the on-demand patching with just two clicks, which was the other announcement about Systems Manager. Oh, yes, correct, yes. Uh, now you can just from the console to say, yeah, I want to patch that machine, and you don't need to belong to a management window or, or a maintenance window. Uh, it will patch the machine straight away. Mm-hmm. Cool. 
And we have a cloud front with broadly compression support, which is good. Before CloudFront was supporting gzip compression only, and now it can support broadly. I had to do some research because honestly, I never used broadly before. <laughs> uh, but uh, AWS is saying that you can basically save 24% on the size of your file to compare gzip compression. And you just need to, um, uh, before you had to do it from the origin, now you can do it from directly from platform to improve your cache hit ratio of your CLD files. So yeah, for people who use broadly, good news. So tell the children, eat your broccoli. <laughs> Boom tish. Let's move to security. So big one here, um, at least for me and anybody else using SSO is we finally have some API support and also CloudFormation at the same time, which I did not expect. I'd been hoping for the API CloudFormation came as a bonus. So what you get here is APIs and CloudFormation support only for permission sets and assigning these permission sets. So you have your user or group and you can assign it to a permission set and account combination which is great. I have uses and I have one or two minor quibbles with the actual implementation. That's okay. That, that's not quite true. I've got some pretty big quibbles. <laughs> <laughs> big enough that they caused you to write some code. Angrily, angrily typing. So what does it work? <laughs> Tell us, Arjun. What does it work? I ran into a pretty big bug, but I'll leave that aside for the moment. Um, also, let me preface this by saying that the actual service team working on SSO is very responsive, and I've had various chats with them. So it's good people. It's nothing personal against them. But... Um, the APIs are very cumbersome. You need to make at least three or four calls to get any useful information out of them. And that doesn't really work for me. Uh, in one of my side projects, I've got a little AWS tools application that I added some functionality to, to make this all work a lot better and give me the information I needed. But one of the major issues that I've heard people talk about as well and that I ran into myself is when it comes to assigning permission sets to accounts or not permission sets to accounts but users permission sets to accounts and that is that all the IDs used for users and be clear we don't have an API yet for users so we only have whatever we will need to put in there and what they use there is the GUIDs so this is basically the long string of letters and numbers that you get if you dig deep into an Active Directory, go to the properties and that are hidden within the old style Windows interface and finally see it there. So it's like a 47 or something character string and it doesn't tell you anything about who you're actually dealing with, which doesn't help make it very nice for anybody and prone to errors as well right if you give rights to people that we shouldn't have yeah yeah exactly if say you get a pull request for because you do all of this through a CSD platform and some and in that pull request it shows oh yeah this 
random string and it gets given admin rights to an account and maybe there's a comment added there nicely for oh yeah this is security person a but in the meantime it's the developer themselves hmm. yeah yeah so it's it's very much a minimum probably not terribly viable product the first the first wave of implementation of this is this what you're saying i definitely would like to see some improvements on it um, that said, it is a massive improvement over having nothing at all. Yeah. yeah. In the past, you had to create them one by one by clicking around, right? I remember. Uh, and then add each account, each permission set, and then you have to assign them one by one as well. So, uh, and the cloud formation support now has the two as well, AWS SSO assignment and AWS SSO permission set. So that artist, you probably can create them very quickly and then do your clicking to a attached to the user as well? Or is still the assignment going to be as cumbersome as the API, I guess, where you need to know which user is going to be going where? Yeah, you still need to know which user it is or which group. Which group, yes. yes. So you can integrate with Okta and as your Active Directory, one logging and all of that. So you need to know the ID of all these groups to be able to use it. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, again, though, because I prefer to spend a bit of time fixing things and then getting it working nicely. I did build a CloudFormation macro that makes this all a bit better. So for assignments, it can use a lookup table so that all you have to do is have some automation that looks into the backend of your identity store and then push it into a JSON file in your S3 bucket. And you can use actual names in your CloudFormation template. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Nice one. That was one of my major issues with this and made using it a lot nicer. The other issue I had specifically with the cloud formation is that I should provide the inline policy as a string. So if you're obviously when you've used cloud formation in the past for things like IAM roles and IAM policies, you can put them in there nicely formatted. Hmm. But that doesn't work with the SSO policy. There you had to make that into a single string, paste it in there and that way you can't have any verification on it you can't run linters on it you can't check in any way, shape or form whether or not it works correctly so I fixed that too in that same macro I mentioned a link can be found in the show notes if you're interested but yeah aside from my issues that I've spoken about now for way too long. <laughs> I am really, really happy that there is some automation support here now because I have issues, but my issues with needing to do clicking in an interface are much bigger. Hmm. Look, I mean, at least it's a start, right? And and it's an indicator that they're on they're on it and they're 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 doing some work and and you know you can hope that over the coming months they'll be enhancements to it and improvements and maybe they'll even include your they'll um, they'll, they'll take your code and and, <laughs> and allow everyone to benefit from your hard work yeah um also the the actual cloud formation resources are open source so potentially somebody could go in and make changes to that potentially me but it's in java that means i would probably um, probably first want some good yeah. alcohol Alcohol. Maybe we can ask our good friend Chris if he can do some Java for us. But let's move on to some other items in here. 
couple of great for CloudFront. Um, CloudFront has support real-time logs and support TLS 1.3. So for the logs, uh, before they were arriving in S3 bucket and you had to kind of retrieve them and do something, now you can send them to Firehose automatically, Kinesis Firehose, and then uh, send them to Splunk or the product so you can have much more uh, live type of reporting on CloudFront and uh, you need to pay a bit extra, it's one cents per one million line of logs uh, that you need to pay for the publishing of the log destination. So that's good. So that's going to help anyone who's got a really sort of highly critical workload that, that they can't stand if it's down for a few seconds. Yeah, yeah. They want to know immediately that there's some issue. Every 404 or something like that, you can have uh, some very quick uh, response. And then the TLS 1.3, uh, I think that's a good improvement, you know, better security, obviously, uh, better handshake, uh, TLS 1.3 support only PFS, so perfect, perfect forward secrecy. Uh, that's, uh, to help you, uh, fight, you know, key decryption and stuff like that. Uh, but that as well, you have only one round trip, uh, for the TLS exchange. So apparently what AWS says that you have a much faster experience for the first byte of exchange between the, your server and your, your uh, client browser. And uh, you have much uh, snappy response for any TLS uh, uh, website. So interesting. Cool. Another one that I think is really interesting is from Amazon Detective, the IAM role session analysis. If you Enable this, Detective will analyze IAM role sessions. So, and it even is visualized so that you can actually see what people have been doing. And it pays attention to both CloudTrail and VPC flow logs to catch everything that is done during a session. Wow. Yeah, that's neat. So it's got a visualization as well. Uh, it's a cross account. That's a, that's a big thing, right? Everybody assumes roles from one account to the other. And sometimes you end up with an ID in, in, in CloudTrail that you didn't know where they're coming from. You trace it back to the original account, the login to find out who it is. Now uh, that product will do that for you. You will be able to trace the behavior of that user across multiple accounts. Uh, really neat. Um, and uh, Detective will retain data for 12 months um, uh, with you know your historical activity. However, one thing I've got is like $2.50 per gig of log. And that can be absolutely massive logs, right? That can be very a lot of logs on CloudTrail, a lot of logs on VPC flow logs. So watch the cost. For the first terabyte, it's two dollars fifty per gig. So two thousand five hundred dollars for for one one terabyte of data on an eye. But security has no price, right? When you look at it. So an announcement that I like uh, because a lot of people are trying to build dashboard and stuff like that across accounts is uh, um, the ability to share dashboards, um, CloudWatch dashboards, I'm mentioning. Um, and uh, yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, you can share your dashboard very easily when you share it to a public uh, URL so everybody can look at the dashboard for uptime or whatever you create. Uh, you have a big red flag, though, a big red, red um, sticker on your dashboard saying this dashboard is public to remind you. But uh, you can have as well integrate with Cognito or having SSO to access your dashboard. So if you want to give, you know, your manager or something access to uh, a dashboard without giving him access to the AWS account, that's a really good way of doing it. And uh, you can, you know, obviously create more dashboard across accounts and, and uh, having that, that open 
visibility on, on your application and your the performance of your account. Yeah, it's a, it's a really useful feature, I think. It's one of those things where, um, you know, uh, you, especially with a managed services kind of environment where you, you want to sort of put together a dashboard and show it to the customer, but the customer doesn't ever, ever log into their account. But, you know, to be able to actually just say, okay, well, e- email address, password, go here. You can see all the stuff that we're, t- we're talking about that's going on in your account. Um, and just sort of cut through all the other difficult stuff of, you know, getting them to actually log into their account and find CloudWatch and all the rest of it, find the dashboard you made. So I think that's going to be a really useful tool. Another one that could be interesting, it's only in preview now, but the cost anomaly detection. This could be nice to see why suddenly your bill is going up. And especially if it gives alerts on, hey, suddenly I've got 20x1, 32x large that got spun up. Well, yeah, as we said before, an anomaly detection is is awesome and there should be more of it. Yeah, you can look at linked accounts as well, which is good. Um, not only just your billing account, but uh, you, you can have a cost category, you can have cost allocation tags as well. Uh, you need an SNS, so created before you uh, enable it. And uh, it will start working just after 24 hours of kind of uh, normalizing what you can see. And uh, at the moment, there is no cost. It's free. So uh, really interesting. There is no additional charge to using it. Yep. So use it while it's in preview and hope it doesn't get too expensive after. <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple of announcements for AWS backup. Now you can copy tags of nested EBS volumes. And that's, uh, that's really interesting because in the past when the uh, situations had several EBS volumes, the tags were not moved across. So you ended up like, I want to restore the D drive, but couldn't see it, which one it was. It was not made to research. So now the, the tags attached to the EBS volume get passed on to the recovery point. And then uh, a big one for a lot of customers use Microsoft Windows with SQL Server, Active Directory, or Exchange Server. Now, with the integration of AWS Backup and uh, AWS System Manager SSM, uh, it provides a VSS-enabled consistent backup for this application. So AWS Backup will talk to SSM, obviously to have the SSM agent installed on the box, but it will put the machine in backup mode, run the snapshot, and then put back the, back, the, the machine in normal mode. So very interesting, and that's, People were doing that before uh, through SSM automation uh, and had to do all sorts of scripts to do it. But now AWS Backup can do it out of the box. It's just one click. So very good improvement for customer use Windows. Yeah, because it's not like they, their lives aren't hard enough already. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> well, in the past, there, has, there was a lot of people who were using SQL Server on EC2, right? Because RDS uh, didn't support SSRS or SSS. Um, SSIS now they do support it so please revisit that that position if you use EC2 uh, for SQL Server RDS support a lot of more features than they used to but for people who are still running that or even Active Directory there is a lot of customers who run Active Directory themselves on EC2 that will be a, a very good addition to make sure that the AD doesn't get corrupted and speaking of databases shall we move on to storage and database. I think we should. What's exciting about databases this this month? I think one interesting one is the data API for Amazon Redshift. This is similar to the one we already have for Aurora Serverless. So you can query over HTTP calls instead of needing to create a database connection and use, yeah, SQL. Yeah, no, it is. It's neat. 
Yeah. Redshift is used by a lot of, uh, you know, data scientists and stuff who are not needed, uh, maybe an ODBC connector or sort of thing. So having just a simple data API with HTTPS makes sense. Make this easy for them. They can query the data uh, and, and get what they need from Redshift. So yeah, cool. And he integrates with Secret Manager and IAM as well. So um, you don't need to pass on your credential. Pretty sweet. Redshift also supports now 100,000 tables in a single cluster, which sounds like a massive number to me. Well, it was 20,000 before, so it's five times bigger, so that, that's massive, and that will help some customer who need to consolidate their Redshift instead of having several nodes, and they can consolidate that into one. So, yeah. yeah to me, something like this, um, a similar increase in maximum storage for Aurora and last month's Redis cluster size improvement, it all sounds seems a bit like customer asking, hey, we just need a little bit more. And then Amazon just goes like, um, yeah, we don't want to hear this complaint for a long time. So let's <laughs> throw massive amounts of extra things on it. So like Amazon Aurora now, you can go 168 terabyte of data. And before it was 64, right? <laughs> so again, who who is consuming that? And then of course, AWS say, oh, you want to consume more? I'll give you more, no problem. Um, so from 64 to 128 terabyte now, for Aurora MySQL and uh, Aurora Postgres as well. Cool. It's just funny one, in my opinion, considering we just had the T4 launch. Is Elasticsearch now supporting T3s? Yeah, that's my nano of the month for me. Um, it used to be T2 small, Elasticsearch, now you can have a T3. Whoops, big whoop. Uh, okay, a bit like three years behind, but that's okay. <laughs> It's an improvement. T3 are better than T2, that's for sure, and then they perform better, but um, yeah, very small improvement there. There wasn't much news on the AIML side last month, so it's a bit strange. Usually there's a lot more, so... Yeah, so it's just Textract. Now you can basically point it at a custom, at your own buckets, um, and it will... Send your output to, 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 to your own S3 bucket, yeah. This is probably mostly interesting from a compliance standpoint, because in theory, you have a little bit more control over what is happening in that bucket when compared to an Amazon managed one. Yeah, I've got a regulated customer who wanted to use that product, so that might help because then you can use your own CMK on the CS3 yeah. bucket and stuff like that. So that's uh, for again, regulation and compliance, I guess. Yeah, okay, cool. Not, not major. No. Not quite a nano, but... <laughs> Other cool stuff then. Price reduction for IoT events. I'm sure you you love that guy. 86% reduction. Oh, well, you know, yeah. If if it says IoT, I have to talk about it. Yeah, no, I... I, I, I um, obviously, price reductions are always good. So IoT events is the... Um, it's the part of the IoT suite that basically gives you a way of orchestrating responding to events and it gives you sort of there's a there's a GUI for it in the console you can sort of have it's sort of a flow based um sort of it's a basically a flow based programming model for 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 how you respond to messages coming in off your IoT devices and obviously it was too expensive because now it's 86% cheaper than it used to be um and that's all I have in all honesty, I'm more interested as well in Amazon Connects APIs. Like SSL, this was a service that was solely lacking any APIs. So AWS gave us three separate announcements about these. And we now have contact flow management APIs, APIs that list prompts within your instance, 
and APIs to configure routing profiles. So this is good. I personally haven't done too much with Connect, but every time I ended up doing anything with it, it was too annoying to do all the clicking. So like with SSL, I am just really happy to see that more services are finally getting their APIs. Yeah. I was just gonna say Connect's obviously had a lot of had a lot of love this year too with um Corona. It's it's been a, a an important product, I guess. And yeah, it's been the subject of a few quite a few announcements, including I think it was a nano candidate for um I think copy and paste in the console. You could copy and paste nodes in the console was was one of was um I, I don't know if we were doing nanos back then, but um <laughs> if if not we can probably retrospectively give it a nano um nomination for for, for being a very tiny announcement but yeah so some some big some small and obviously uh, the announcement of apis is a lot bigger and more um important than than a lot of the sort of uh, you can now click this in the console and something will happen yeah AWS gives the example of the routing profile for the port api that you can automatically now adjust the queue priorities uh where you have a spike of contact volumes uh certain certain calls or uh, certain waiting time so you can add some you know, monitoring on, on the queues, and if the queue gets too long, then you have a Lambda function to go in to modify the API um, call and, and uh, modify basically your contact flow on the fly. So much more automation view, which is great. Uh, it's not more only now a clicking product, it's more like a, a full CI-CD enterprise-grade product. Although the interesting thing about that, though, too, is, you know, one of the one of the kind of founding ideas of it, I guess, is it's a flow-based tool and I guess there's only one one problem with with having APIs to to do things programmatically is that you then can't necessarily look at it and see know what it's going to happen. You actually need to know what's going on under the hood as well. Um, what programmatic changes might 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 happen to your to your flow? I guess I guess if you need that sort of thing, you're probably prepared to to cop the the perhaps inconvenience of that. At my young age, I used to manage a PBX and uh, a brand I don't want to name, but it was orange screen and a couple of vector flows. The had to program manually one by one. Um, so definitely a big improvement with this type of product than using a, a, a keyboard and a, and a four hundred thousand uh, dollars big device to was writing cool so yeah i mean one of the things that i think i'm i'm we might have speculated on at some point too is i did wonder why when they did connect they didn't sort of extend the um state machine language that they've got for for um step functions to kind of leverage that and and use it for this i i guess there's a lot of other sort of foreign concepts in in call handling that perhaps would have overloaded that but um yeah sort of there's a lot of commonality there if they had done that they would have now been able to do x-ray tracing on incoming calls <laughs> yes exactly see another thing that was announced that i find interesting although i haven't played around with it too much yet is um in this case in one of the aws solutions this is usually things that are not aws just offers code that you can run yourself um, it's not a service, but that is AWS perspective, which mm. is interesting in that it allows you to generate diagrams of workloads in your environments. Yeah, I think um, there was quite a bit of chatter about the, the the cost of it, that it wasn't very cheap. I think, JM, you probably know know something about what, what the costs of it were. I guess from my point of view, when I looked at it, I sort of thought, yeah, it's, um, it will draw a diagram, but it doesn't really... It's. I, I did, didn't. It didn't seem like there was a lot of flexibility around that. Like I'd rather 
I could export it into something that I could, you know, a tool I was more familiar with. But, um, but yeah, James, did you play with it at all? Yeah, I, I played with it. I, we had a deployment. Um, so it's around $535 a month US. So it's, yeah, it's, it's not cheap because it's got a lot of stuff underneath. So there is Cognito, there is an Elasticsearch node, and that's what costs the most money. You have a Neptune as well, a node for the GraphQL part. Uh, you have DynamoDB, you have ECS Fargate. So there is, there is a lot of moving parts behind this to create this environment. It's, it's a very good product. I mean, I was impressed with even in Discover itself and to be able to do it. And you can do a course account as well. So you could have that centralized and discover other accounts. You integrate as well with your S3 bucket where you have your uh, pricing. And so it can match uh, your instance or your um, uh, environment with uh, the price you pay for the month. So that's interesting. You need to give them access to the S3 bucket, obviously. And you can export to CSV file, the diagram, or to draw IO. Maybe that's a free product as well. So you can export that to that. It doesn't support everything. It just supports 38 resources. Um, so it supports ECS, for example, but not EKS. Uh, so you can't discover your EKS cluster. Uh, but it supports cloud formation. So you can see everything is attached to your cloud formation, for example, if you click on it. And you can choose what, what object you want to display on your diagram. So it's, it's, it's a good start. I think it's a good product. Um, and a lot of customers have been asking for this type of thing. They want to have a quick view of what's happening on the account and how much it costs them for per month. So that's a good start. But, uh, we destroy it um, after the, before the weekend because we didn't want to run that all weekend for nothing. Yeah, to me, it feels like something you can just run when you want the diagram. Or if you're uncovering, if you're dis- discovering a new account, um, or you on, on onboarding a customer who's got an existing yeah. environment, and you want to just be able to map it out and. Um, but it would discover just thirty-eight percent, thirty-eight type of resources. Right? Yeah. so it's not it's not everything, but. Um, no, it's it, it it's a good start. It looks a bit like, like cloud formation designer, to be honest. For people who know cloud formation designer, it looks a bit like that. But, um, and you can pick what you want to display. So if you just want to display the VPC, you can, and you keep adding stuff on top. Um, it's okay. Uh, there was an announcement about workspace uh, to be able to um, do cross region redirection. So that for high availability for customers who have used workspace in several regions, you can, with your DNS, uh, basically send them to the closest region they are. So if they are traveling from the US to Japan, which is not going to happen for the next probably 12 months, but uh, then they, they can access the Japanese uh, workspace instead of the US one because they are closer or for high availability as well. And they don't have to change the registration code, which the, the long process of joining workspace uh, as it is removed and they just get redirected. So it's, uh, and there's no additional charge. So it's always a nice improvement for workspace for people to use it. And there was an announcement about um, Microsoft, Microsoft Office Professional as well for if you're a BYOL license user in workspaces, you can now have uh, Office Professional, you know, should you want such a thing? But you probably save a bit of money instead of paying, I guess, AWS. You might be able to have uh, some better uh, pricing uh, rebate uh, by doing bring your own license for Microsoft Office product. Yeah, yeah. I suspect you, if you end up with a bring your own Windows license for workspaces, you'll probably have some agreements with Microsoft already in place. 
uh, queuing or saving plans. I was like, what do you want to do that? But after reading the announcement, I understand a bit better. It is, for example, for people who have a reserve instance uh, who are going to expire in a certain months, they can start buying now, replacing them with saving plans in advance and saying, my saving plan will buy it now. And as soon as the reserve instance kind of expired, the saving plan will take over automatically. So you can start planning in advance your, your saving plan and then they get activated only when they reach the, the schedule. So yeah, that makes sense. That actually makes a lot of sense, yeah. Hmm. Thank you for making it make sense, JM. <laughs> well, it didn't make sense to me, so I'm sure for our listeners, uh, that, that's a good help. So um, yeah. So who wants to talk about Amazon Bracket? That's, that's, a, that's an interesting one. Amazon Bracket now offer D-Wave Advantage with quantum system for quantum annealing. <laughs> I had to re- read the word twice, yeah. Yeah, it's got more than 5,000 qubits with 15-way connectivity yeah. to enable researchers and developers to explore larger, more complex quantum optimization problems. So if that means something to you, congratulations. You well, can now I did some research. Um, oh, uh-oh. And uh-oh. there are devices who exist. So basically, I think AWS bought them and then make them available to you. So I found them. Um, they are massive. And the CPU is the size of a nail, but they have a wow. freezing mechanism. We can put the link of the, uh, the, the design in, in, the, in the podcast, but uh, all the mechanism is there to cooling the thing. So it's a massive tower with a lot of cooling system to be able to uh, keep that stuff cool and bring wow. it to basically close to uh, a, a, zero, a zero degrees and where it can operate. And the new version basically has more connectivity and more pipe. Two, two and a half times more. Yeah, you're able to send more stuff to that same CPU and you're going to have more, more information analyzed through the quantum physics uh, of uh, zero one and zero and one together. Wow. So we, we put the, the link in the podcast. Excellent. And and how much would you expect to pay? I'm just going to have a look at the pricing. <laughs> I don't know. There was no pricing. Uh, but it's a, it's like three meters by three meters by two meters high. So it's a, it's a massive box. I prefer AWS to have that in the, in the data center. Pricing is the same as for the old model. Yep. 30 cents you, per task. And I'll, I'll send you the... The, the brochure, if you want to buy one. And if you look at the diagram below, you have this mini, mini QPU, right? Which is the size of a, a nail. And all the rest is a cryogenic circulation system to keep the, the, the CPU cool in the, close to uh, the absolute zero. Yeah, wow. So very, very, very cool stuff. Very cool stuff. Very cool. Boomtish. So yeah, you can, you can rent one from, from AWS uh, to use on demand. Yeah. So we just need to understand how to do quantum computing and we could actually make use of this. Well, I thought it was a simulator before. No, that's a, that's a real thing. Yeah. Well, they do have a simulator as well. So you can, I guess the thing is, because it probably does get expensive, once you actually want to run a real problem in a real on a real quantum computer, so um, yeah, I think there's there's a simulator as well. But uh, we, you know, so you'd obviously test out what you're trying to do and and then run it on the real the real thing. But yeah, it's interesting and it's it's we should really all get across it so that we can speak knowledgeably about quantum computing, fellas, because yeah, otherwise we're going to become old and irrelevant. Speaking of irrelevant, sure. 
Shall we have a look at the nano candidates for this month? Absolutely. JM, you already uh, mentioned earlier. Yeah, I've, I've, got, I've done mine. I mentioned it uh, for me, Elasticsearch, uh, for in key three. Uh, well, thank you, AWS, but it's a bit late, but that's okay. Um, it's an improvement anyway, but um, yeah. Yeah, that's good. So I, I, I offended I offended you uh, in by, by picking something related to Fargate. Yes. Um, so, so basically a service quota increase. Uh, which just sounded to me incredibly dull and and um, uninspiring. You can now launch up to 500 concurrent ECS tasks running on Fargate on demand, uh, whereas previously it was either 100 or 250. So, you know, rejoice. <laughs> um, and my pick was that AWS IQ now provides short URLs for export profiles. So instead of longer URLs, you can now have a shorter one. <laughs> And this is definitely more what I wanted from IQ than, say, availability for us to sign up for it instead of being limited to the US, but, you know. But the important thing is you're not bitter about it, and that's that's really, yeah. that's the main thing. Yeah. No, I, th- I agree with you. I think yours yours is definitely the, the, the least impressive uh, for, for, for the month. But hey, look, you know, we don't want to pick favorites, I guess. Um, I guess the, uh, the end of the year is when we'll, uh, we will review all these nanos and, and come up with a, a, a winner for the, for the, for 2020. I mean, 2020 has been such a year. Like we, you know, I guess it seems churlish to even spend any time thinking about how tiny AWS announcements might be of any consequence at all. Um, but, uh, hey, look. What else are you going to do when there's a global pandemic? I think that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Let me just start out with thanking the user group sponsors first. Our gold sponsor, Enabler, and our silver sponsors, AC3, CMD Solutions, and Do It International. Just as a quick side note here, uh, because it's worth calling out, I think, considering it's one of our sponsors, CMD was in September actually named as the consulting partner of the year for Australia and New Zealand. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, congrats. Yeah, well done. That's a really nice achievement. And then thank you, everybody, for listening. And, of course, most of all, thank you, JM and Guy, for joining me to discuss everything again. You're very welcome, Ian. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. And uh, hopefully our listener always learns something. Cool. That's it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.